Welcome to the Box Out Basketball Podcast. I'm Andy Rodman. Here at Box Out Basketball, it's our job to give you the tools, it's your job to use them. This episode's interview is going to be with Florida State assistant coach Charlton Young. I was especially excited to do this interview because Coach CY is actually one of the first people that I ever worked for within the coaching industry. Um, So a little context is around 2010-2011, I was a student at Georgia Southern University and as a way to you know, get my feet wet in coaching and learn about basketball and prepare for coaching. Um, I wanted to become a manager for Georgia Southern's basketball team, and Coach CY was the head coach at the time. And in that time, I I learned so much uh, from both Coach Young and his whole staff, and just being around the the team and just the whole experience of of working for a Division One program. In my time there, some of the things that I noticed is that Coach CY was an excellent recruiter and a great basketball mind, and he brought energy and passion to work every day. But more important than any of that, he built a family environment around that basketball program. He was always preaching about the basketball family, and it didn't matter who you were or how important you were to the program, whether it be the assistant coaches, the best players, the worst players, the managers, anybody that, that was within that group, you know, he, he treated like family, he made sure that everybody was treated with respect, and, and he made sure that everybody knew that, you know, they were they made an impact. And um, so it, it was a pleasure to, you know, get to work for him for the years that I did. Since his time at Georgia Southern, he's moved on and become an assistant coach at Florida State University and has definitely had a huge hand in a lot of the success that they've had recently. This episode, we talked about his playing career. Um, He is a Georgia Southern Hall of Fame player and um, helped Georgia Southern get to their first NCAA tournament bid. Then he played professional basketball overseas since then has been in the coaching game for 25 years. Um, So this is just chock full of advice for players, advice for coaches, and he even gives us a preview of Florida State's season this year. So um, when you're hearing this episode, Florida State, it's going to be about conference tournament, um, NCAA tournament time. We actually recorded this interview uh, before the season started, he talks about a lot of the key players on Florida State's team, um, what it's like to go up against teams like Duke, UNC, Virginia, and how they plan on making a national championship run this year. So I, I really hope you enjoy this episode. And remember, here at Box Out Basketball, it's our job to give you the tools. It's your job to use them. Welcome to the Box Out Basketball Podcast. I'm Andy Rodman. And today's guest is assistant coach of Florida State University, Charlton Young. How you doing, coach? Doing great, man. Doing great. Good to see you. Absolutely. Great to see you. A um, little context for the listeners. Um, I used to be a manager for Georgia Southern University, and that's when uh, Coach C.Y. was the head coach. So, um, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, How you been? Hey, watch you grow up, man. Okay, everybody's <laughs> growing up. It seems like everybody uh, everybody from that... From that um, you know, basketball family we had was doing big things. You know, Cap goes up at USC. Coach Smith is at Clemson. You know, it seems like everybody's um everybody's doing well. Well, per 
Kevin Williams, associate head coach at Columbus State. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a group. We had a good group. A lot of those guys are still playing for money. I'm proud of that. All of them got degrees. How about Cam Baskerville, who was my first signee, is uh, a skill development guy with the Brooklyn Nets. Is he really? Wow. He's, I know that. Doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric is playing in Hong Kong. Uh, Jelani was in Germany. Trey Bussey wound up being the seventh pick in the, in the NBA, NBDL draft with Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. He's still playing on the scene. So that was a, it was a successful successful regime. And then uh, Willie's coaching now, isn't he? Willie's assistant coach. Yeah. yeah. Assistant coach back at Georgia Southern. I'm very proud of all those guys and, and what we accomplished, contrary to what most people might think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Basically, I just want to get you to talk about your story, your path throughout basketball and, and see what, you know, what advice you have to offer to, you know, upcoming players and upcoming coaches as well. And just see what we can learn from your experience. So I'll start my, my basketball uh, experience. I've, I've been truly blessed. The first thing I would say is it's all about relationships. I chose Georgia Southern because of my relationship with a guy by the name of Robbie Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Lang re- recruited me uh, when I came out of Miami, Carroll City uh, in 1989. Uh, I had uh, Tulane, South Florida, Colorado State, Miami, and Georgia Southern. And uh, I've always been a basketball junkie. And uh, so I wasn't uh, really concerned about anything, but where was the best place for me to play? Mm-hmm. And uh, was probably looking back on it, wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't the best way to approach it. But long story short, when I went to Georgia Southern, I played pickup, and they had two NBA guys. Mm-hmm. They had uh, Jeff Sanders at the time, who was a first-round draft pick to Chicago Bulls, and they had Mike Curry, who was like a brother to me, uh, who was a senior when I was a freshman, who wound up playing 14 years in the NBA with the Sixers and the Pistons and wound up being the head coach mm-hmm. of the uh, Detroit Pistons. And uh, I just felt like they had better players. And I felt like they uh, were more committed to being uh, a great basketball team. And they had just come from the NCAA tournament and was picked to be a Sweet 16 team. Um, so I chose Georgia Southern. And that sounds kind of crazy. Uh, but from 83 to about 93, uh, Georgia Southern was considered one of the top mid-major programs uh, in the country. Uh, you know, now you got BCU and you got Gonzaga and you got these teams like this. But pre-internet, mm-hmm. Georgia Southern was one of those groups. So, you know, young people think anything that happened pre-internet didn't exist, but that's <laughs> not true. You know what I mean? I got uh, some VHS tapes for your behind. You might not have no VCR, but <laughs> <laughs> I got some VHS tapes that, uh, that are pretty good of, of uh, us doing some things on the basketball court. So... Uh, going to Georgia Southern, I wound up being the freshman of the year in the league and being a Hall of Fame player and um, leading them to their last NCAA tournament, uh, which was 1992. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, yeah, long time. I was MVP of the conference tournament as a junior, and then we wound up losing in the semifinals in the Southern Conference to East Tennessee State double overtime mm-hmm. the following year, but we won 22 games. So I went to the NIT as a freshman, NCAA as a junior, and then lost in the semis to go back to the tournament. Mm. 
So we had we had, had a good run, had a good run. I wound up going to play in France, and then when I came home for one year, I played in Tour de France. And when I came home, the guy who recruited me, Robbie Lane, had left Georgia Southern and gone to Auburn with Cliff Ellis. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, he and I were very, very close. Did you know you wanted to coach when you were playing, or is that something you found out later? I knew I wanted to coach when I was playing. Mm-hmm. I always knew that I would come back and be the head coach at Georgia Southern one day. Okay. Uh, but I didn't expect it to be so quickly. I wanted to make another run. You know, I got cut by the Clippers, and then I got invited back to Toronto the next year. Okay. And, uh, they went on strike that year, and I was saying, man, God's trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robbie Lang, who always told me, and you're going to be a coach. You know, I don't want you bouncing around Europe. You're a coach. So when I came back from Europe the first year, he said, come visit. And uh, I was based in Atlanta at the time. And Auburn was like an hour and 30 minutes down the road. So I went to see him and his wife because he was like family to me. And uh, long story short, he took me by Cliff Ellis' house, who saw us upset South Carolina when he was coaching at Clemson. Hmm. And he says, hey, man, I remember you as a player. You were a fiery dude. Do you want to work for me? I was like, uh, doing what? He was like, administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had signed for like 80 grand and a house and a car in France. And I came back. I remember forgetting I saved $62,000. I thought I was rich. You know, I was going to retire. <laughs> but I said, how much does it pay? He said, 18000 normal. Mm. At the time when I went to Europe, it was pre-internet, no Facebook, no Skype, no email. Like it was really like being isolated, and you know, old school calling cards, going to the payphone, putting the number. In. You don't even know what's what's going on in America. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was tough. You know, I remember I had like forty-one points at Nice. And, you know, I, when I got a certain amount of points and assists, you got your bonus. Hmm. I remember calling my mom saying, hey, mom, I went off tonight, got 41 in these, got my bonus, 1500 for this, 500 for that. And she was like, boy, it's 3 in the morning over here. If you don't get off the <laughs> phone. And I remember thinking, man, my own mama don't want to talk to me over here. Man, I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I got offered a job in Auburn, originally, 18000 a I said to myself, I'm going to do it for one year, and I'm going to go back overseas. And my agent was like, hey, I, Pussy Chateau, La Rochelle, Jose, we got guys that want to offer you, you know, 10 or 15 grand more to come back. And I was like, I got off the plane in Atlanta. I got uh, a Coke with some ice in it, got some French fries with real ketchup. I was just happy to be back in the States. You know, I kissed the floor. Mm, I've done that seven too. Seven and a half months. Seven and a half months. Uh, you know, basically now, if I'd have gone over like now, like now, you got Skype, you got Facebook, you got email. You know, mm. I probably would have been over there, married a French model, and been an agent or something. <laughs> you know, we came back. But I took that job in Auburn the first year, and I, I loved it so much, and I, I just it just clicked for me, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, 25 years later, here I am talking to you. It's it's, it's crazy. You know, and I remember going to Cliff Ellis saying, hey, I might go back overseas. And he was like, hey, I'll pay you whatever I got to pay you. You know, I'll bump you up. Can't lose you. 
Yeah. You and, you know, next thing you know, I was making 50 in a Malibu in a cell phone. I was making 75 in a Tahoe and 70. It was like, it was crazy. It was like, almost like God chose me to coach. So, uh, now 25 years, it's my 25th season. So I was seven years at Auburn, two years at Jacksonville University in Florida, one year at Northeastern University in Boston, one year as the associate head coach at Chattanooga, Tennessee, five years at Georgia Tech, four years as the head coach at Georgia Southern. And then, you know, we got a new president, new AD, we got fired, and I got, this is my sixth year at Florida State. Wow. So it's, it's crazy. That's how far it is. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's been good. So um, with that administrative assistant job, I mean, what I think a lot of coaches come into it and think it's going to be all basketball and you're just going to get to call plays and run drills. But there's so much administrative things and so many off-the-court things that, you know, it's the less glamorous side of coaching, but it's typically you have to be willing to go through that if you want to become a coach. So uh, just talk a little bit about that experience. That's a great point. Um, I, I thought that was the most significant and important component of my coaching career because mm-hmm. I learned how to run a budget, make a budget. Uh, I handled all the travel. I handled all the academics, everything. uh around the program from a budget organizational standpoint uh, I was in charge of so you know you don't realize how much goes into just making a road trip mm-hmm. you know somebody got a contract the buses you got a contract the planes you know money have enough money for meals you know to give people meal money that was a great experience because I basically learned how to run a division one program mm-hmm. And that makes you, when you're good at the whole gamut, you know, that's the biggest thing I hate. That's the biggest advice I can give young coaches. Make sure that you're well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you can do everything that you can teach, that you can recruit, that you can coach, uh, that administratively you can handle academics, you can handle compliance, you can handle the business office, you can handle admissions. Uh, that's the most important component. It seems like, especially when you're starting out, you know, you have the, the coaches, the head coaches, the assistant coaches, you know, they want to be able to focus on the game itself as much as possible on recruiting, on game planning, on, on film study, on all that. And I think a way to make yourself valuable when you are, whether a manager, coach, uh, director of operations, what have you, is just look at it like your job is to take as much off the coach's plates as possible and let them focus on coaching. That's a great point, and, and uh, that's that's a very valid point. I think that uh, you gotta have uh, you gotta think outside the box, mm-hmm. and you gotta have a go getters mentality. You know what I mean? You just gotta, you know, now you're better off doing too much and them saying, "Hey, hold on, hold on, we'll handle that." As opposed to the other way, just kind of sitting around twiddling your thumbs mm-hmm. and waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. You just kind of figure it out, and uh, that's what I've always been able to, been able to do coming up coming up the ranks. Just and no matter what component it was, just to get involved and try to take things off the head coach's plate or the assistants. Mm-hmm. 
So leading up to when you got that that head coaching job um, at Georgia Southern, you know, we'll, we'll get to, you know, how that must have felt. But, you know, you, you were at several different schools beforehand doing administrative things. So, you know, outside of, you know, your playing career at Georgia Southern, what was it that you demonstrated in those first several coaching jobs that made them want to take a chance on you and, and give you the responsibility of being a, D, a D1 head coach? Uh, I think number one was the ability to evaluate and recruit. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing if you want to keep the door in in college basketball. You got to be able to recruit and you got to be able to evaluate. Yeah. And those are two separate entities. When I say evaluate, uh, be able to go in and watch a player and basically find a needle in a haystack, a guy that nobody thought that could really play, mm-hmm. and he becomes a player. That's number one. And then once you evaluate, finding a guy that's under the radar on a big-time player, second thing is can you build relationships around that player to get him mm-hmm. to come to your school? And uh, a lot of people don't have that ability, that talent. It's very rare that somebody can evaluate and build relationships to make somebody trust you, believe in you, to want to come play for your program. It's a very difficult thing. I equate it to baseball. You know, in baseball, you're able to see a guy's a a great batter, right? Mm -hmm. A guy who's a great batter or hitter, he may bat 300. But 300, that's 30%. That's an F, right? Mm -hmm. But if you bat 300, you you are a phenomenal player. Mm -hmm. What's the same thing in recruiting? You're going to be told no three times more than you told yes. Who are the guys that are tougher enough, persistent enough, relentless enough to continue grind to grind at it and to get people to come play in your program? Mm-hmm. That that's the first thing that you gotta be able to do. Somebody's gonna hire you as an assistant coach. They wanna know first, can you recruit? And can you evaluate? And once you prove that, then they allow you to do everything else. They allow you to coach, game plan, teach, skill develop. All those other things. Mm-hmm. So when, how do you, how do you even uh, reach out to these players to let them know they're interested, or do you you go watch them at games, or how do you how do you even set up that first meeting when you know you're in their living room talking to their parents? Um, the process is is pretty simple. I mean, we for us we we get on kids, you know, three years early, mm-hmm. you know, ninth grade. Eighth, ninth grade, we usually involved with kids, and the way you kind of find out about them is uh, AAU tournaments, high school tournaments, just getting to know your area. You know, uh, you know, if you say I, I live in Tallahassee, I try to go two hours, three hours north, three hours south, three hours east, three hours west. I try to know everything going on. Try to invite my. Uh, get out and call and build relationships with the coaches in Georgia, the coaches in Florida, the coaches in Miami, the AAU coaches. Mm-hmm. And then once you build those relationships, they'll kind of try to start telling you, hey, it's a big-time sophomore in Panama City. Okay. There's a big-time freshman in Orlando. And you just kind of build your network. Mm-hmm. You know, different coaches have different theories on players. Some might take a player who's less athletic, but maybe more skilled, higher basketball IQ. 
Um, some players, some coaches might want a, a great athlete who's more raw, less skilled, and think that you can develop them. Uh, what type of player do you prefer and why? Uh, I try to find a happy medium between both. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great point. Uh, I thought one of the biggest mistakes I made as the head coach at Georgia Southern was I got enamored by size and athleticism. Mm. Uh, where you you need skill. And that during that time, I took the head job at Georgia Southern, the game is kind of evolving and changing. Like even now, the game is totally different than when yeah. I first. You know, big men took, handling the ball. And yeah. That type of- no question. And shooting. But I think what you're talking about depends on the system. Mm. If you're working for a head coach, if you work for West Virginia and Bob Huggins, he may want an athlete that can run and jump because he want to press. Yeah. If you're a coach at Davidson, Davidson wants shooters. They want skill. Um, so for me at Florida State, I try to get it. I try to find a happy, a happy medium between a great athlete and a skilled guy. Mm-hmm. So when I walk in to see a guy, this is how I grade him. I tell myself, okay, size that position. Athletic ability, then skill. Then I ask myself two or three questions: Is he high energy? Is he high character? And is he a gym rat? Mm. And those are kind of the six components. Now I feel like I'm a pretty good skill developer. So if a guy can't handle it or he doesn't shoot it well, uh, I've always felt like I can improve their stroke and improve their skill. But I think the shooting stroke, even if it isn't great, the mechanics of it, you know, is it one hand dominant? Mm. Does this guy handle the ball? Does he shoot up, not out? Does he lock his elbow? Does he put all five fingers in the rim? Mm. A lot of times you see guys now, they got the ball like this, they got it all. Well, I'm not I'm not touching that guy because you can't fix it. You know yeah. what I mean? Not at that age. You have to like this and it's just not, not tight. You can rep that. You can make that better. Mm. So the first thing I look at now as I've gotten older in the business is their shooting stroke. Because I want every single person on the team to be able to shoot. That opens up, that uh, at, that makes your spacing better. It's going to open yeah. up driving right. lanes. Oh, it's going to make right. the defense now, respect yeah. you. And you can win the free throw battle. Ah, uh, yep. We struggled at the foul line when uh, we were at Georgia Southern. We're shooting 2,000 free throws a day. And guys still struggle at the foul line. Well, you address foul shooting in recruiting. I think that's a under talked about thing about the Warriors now is is when you have guys like Steph, Clay, Durant, those clutch free throws at the end of the games, like the ones George Hill missed in the finals. Like the Warriors don't have those kind of misses because they recruit shooters. Recruit shooters, and they damn near don't even have to practice mm-hmm. foul shooting. <laughs> You know what I mean? They just, they address it and recruit. Mm. That's the biggest growth I've made in my career. You know, like, for example, Marvin Bainham mm. was a great athlete. Wasn't skilled. Now, because of his character, if I had to sign Marvin Bainham 100 out of 100 times, mm. I would sign him again. Well, a high major athlete, too. Mm. You know what I mean? And we go play Auburn, Wake Forest, whatever. He can rebound the guy. He can jump the guy. He can bang it. Mm-hmm. But we probably needed to spend more time improving the skill. 
So are you saying if there's a player now who maybe isn't a great athlete or much of a playmaker, you might give him a shot now based on being a great shooter where you wouldn't have done that 10, 15 years ago? No question. No question. And that's just the way the game has changed. You know what I mean? Cars get better. Shoes get better. TVs mm-hmm. get better. Mm-hmm. The number one word in, in civilization is evolution. Yep. You know, if... If you don't, if you're not getting better, you become extinct like a dinosaur. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nobody carries beepers no more. <laughs> you know they don't. They, nobody buys cars where you can roll the window up. You know everybody wants automatic button. Everybody wants cell phone, iPhone ten. Oh yeah. So how and much? How much is a character factor when you recruit? Like first, um, when you're looking at like. You know, is are they coachable? Are they going to be good in the classroom? Are they, you know, respectful to the coaches? Uh, do they work hard? That type of thing. First off, how do you find those things out about a player? And then how much of a factor is it in whether or not you want to pursue them? You got to really study it in the recruit process. I mean, you got to mm-hmm. go down there almost like an FBI agent mm-hmm. and ask questions. You got to get to know the principal, the, the guidance counselor, the high school coach, the JV coach. You know, some of his teachers, strippers, and anybody in the circle, you got to go down there three, four, five times and really get to know a kid, you know what I mean, before you pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, high character and being a gym rat is so important. You know, we had a couple guys in our program, I'm not going to call their names, were talented, but just were low character guys. We took a chance on them. But it wound up biting us in the butt because they never could. Not a majority of our locker room, 75, 80% of it was high character guys. Mm. And that's why year three, we was able to finish second in the league and I was the coach of the year. We was able to basically save the program because if you remember, I don't know what was your first year there, but it was, uh, it was the year we were doing well. It was right after yeah. the, the five and 27 year, but then we picked it up that following year. That's when I first got there. Yeah, your first year. So. Mm-hmm. First came in, you saw two years of just blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. to get what we finished second in the league because we were at the bottom of the league and we took over three scholarships taken, an academic scandal, and probation. Mm-hmm. When you came two years earlier, you'd have had to practice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, you, me, and Cap would have been on the same team trying to prepare our team. I mean, that's how bad it was. Oh, yeah. You have three scholarships taken. You only got thirteen. You're down to ten. You get one guy with a back injury and one guy with an ankle. You're down to eight guys. So how much? Let me put it this way: if if a player is a certain level of talent, are you ever willing to say, "Okay, let me you know see if I can fix him," or are you kind of more like? draw that line like you know no character issues whatsoever I used to but i still i still do i i gave do i have a relationship can i say mm-hmm. but you know most things the first thing you learn in coaching is judge people on consistent behavior not okay. what they say but what they do mm-hmm. god is consistently doing bad things in this program when he comes over to you more than likely he's gonna do the same thing mm-hmm. it's a hard feel to swallow now every now and then change them to save but it's a lot of work and then when you're recruiting them obviously they're going to try to present themselves in the best possible light they're going to stand up straight be clean shaven yes sir no sir that kind of thing 
Um, but then once you start working with them on a daily basis, you might have a whole different experience than what they were presenting themselves as. No like anyone that's ever had a job interview can understand that. Yeah, yeah. And everybody says they're representatives. Mm. Everybody does. Mm. You find out, you peel back the onion, you find out who they really are. Are they really serious about success? My thing is, I just wanted guys that were serious about success. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it in every, from the managers. You remember, I was hard on y'all, same mm-hmm. way. Yeah. I wanted guys that were going to represent the program. I saw you guys as our lieutenants, and I wanted you guys to be successful when you left the program, whether you went into coaching or private business. If you notice, a lot of those guys that came through with you mm-hmm. are doing really well. You know, because of the culture that you guys helped us build. Yeah, I um, I mean, I I talked to uh Brandon Funk. I actually interviewed him for this podcast, but something went wrong with the file, so we couldn't load it. But I know he's doing very well uh, at Francis Mary. And um, I don't know if you know, but uh, me and Coach uh, Coach Josh uh, coached together for a few years too. Yeah. Yeah. So at uh, at Southeast Bullock. So um, you know, and I definitely, I mean, we took. I did know that. Yeah, we took so much of what we learned uh, from Georgia Southern and, you know, from the drills to the just the culture, the expectations, just to learning how to how to talk to players. I mean, we were, you know, took everything that we could learn from that Georgia Southern experience and applied it to that. So, yeah, and definitely seeing, you know, I know like Aaron's doing well and yeah, it's definitely, you know, had a big impact. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, how did it feel when you, when you were, you know, asked to be the head coach of your alma mater, a place where you had such a successful playing career, a, you know, a place you obviously, you know, had your heart in to get to be the head coach and really run the show there. Well, how was that? It was, uh, unbelievable feeling. One of the highlights of my life. Uh, I was 37 years old at the time. I was the youngest head coach, division one head coach in the country. Uh, I knew that I was taking over a huge um, task mm-hmm. because the program had fallen so low. And I knew my responsibility uh, was not only to try to get them going on the court, but to kind of rebuild our reputation and, and get our, our uh, get us right from an academic standpoint, too. So it was kind of a tough deal because they had had an academic scandal with junior college players and they, they didn't want me to take in junior college or transfers. Mm. Uh, the AD and the president at the time, President Ruby and Sam Baker, they told me, hey, we want you to rebuild it organically uh, with high school freshmen. Mm. So we signed nine or 10 freshmen. And at that level, when you sign freshmen, you just, it's going to take you some time. So that's yeah. why it took us two, three years, you know, I played at Georgia Southern. Mike Curry and I were probably two of the only four-year players in the program. It's, it's usually been successful with JUCO players. Mm. And uh, so I knew that I was a little handicapped, uh, a little handcuffed on not being able to do that. Uh, or we could have got it going right away. Mm. You know, you look at some of these other programs like East Tennessee State, Georgia State. They take three, four transfers a year, junior college and ACC and SEC transfers. And that's how they keep their program where they can compete with the ACC and SEC schools. Mm-hmm. Because of the academic stipulations, uh, we weren't able to do that in our 
our time at Georgia Southern because uh, we had to get the APR back, points back, to get the scholarships back. And so signing Cam Baskerville, signing uh, Jelani Hewitt, Eric Ferguson, you know, all these freshmen, uh, and taking our lumps with them was something we had to do because of the NCAA and academic scandal. But uh, we did it. And we got it off the ground, we saved the program. You know, uh, I'm pr- I'm proud of the four years that we were there. We got all the APR points back, and we got the scholarships back. Um, I was the coach of the year, year three. We finished second in the league, and in year four, we had the first ACC win in the history of Georgia Southern University. We beat Virginia Tech. Mm, yeah, at, at Virginia Tech. So uh, we did some really good things those four years. And, you know, you, you it's the business. You get a new AD, you get a new president. They want their own people. It's like if you work at a company, you get a new boss, new ownership. They're gonna bring in their own people. So, you know, I, I was hurt, but I'm not. I still love Georgia Southern. Uh, still love the program. Uh, I feel like if they would have let us continue to build, we would have probably had the league in a chokehold by now. I saw UNCG make a run to the you know, Sweet 16 this year, or mm-hmm. second round of the tournament. Well, when you and I were together in the Southern Conference, we were beating the brakes off UNCG, but he was allowed to stay there six, seven, eight years. Oh, yeah. And build it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got let go after year four. Wes Miller. I mean, what, uh, McKillop has been at Davidson for, for however long. Yeah. 32 years. So, you know, you learn. It was a it was a great learning experience. I think most people who know the business respect what we did there, mm-hmm. especially what we inherited. I remember when you were there, right? We lost to Wake Forest and Auburn in overtime. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think it so, was. I think we won every home game except for two, and one of them was Davidson, and one of them was Valpo. I think they were both tournament teams. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and we wound up beating Davidson next year. We had won like thirty games in a row in the Southern Conference at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we were on the verge of doing some big things. You know, being a head coach there was a, a huge part of my career. Uh, the respect level people give you at the Division One level when you've been a head coach, you can't put a price tag on that. Mm. Uh, people still, right now, uh, when I run into other coaches, they, they talk about seeing me coach there or some of the games that we played in, the, game, the big wins that we had, and the close losses that we had. So it was a great experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So, you know, one of the the toughest things about coaching is the lack of job security. That, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times it's not the coach's fault. A lot of times the coach is doing a fine job and there's, you know, things outside of their control and you let go. Or, you know, sometimes you're you're just part of a staff, you know, mm-hmm. that, that gets let go. And... You know, especially, you know, someone like you with, with a wife and kids and whatnot, it's, it's gotta be difficult to, you know, just kind of be forced to move around. And, and at least from what I see, that seems like one of the hardest things about coaching. So how do you, how do you manage? How do you prepare for that? Well, it's, it's, I don't think you can prepare for it. Uh, I think you just kind of accept and trust God and have faith in your ability and that the, the man upstairs is going to have you where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know my situation in Statesboro. I really feel like 
the Lord pulled me out of there for my children mm. because even though I was intoxicated by wanting to be a head coach at the Division One level, Statesboro, Georgia wasn't a great place for young kids in terms of schools and uh, academic uh, athletic opportunities. You know, I, I get fired and moved to Tallahassee. I get a $50,000 raise to be an assistant, and my kids are in better schools. They got AAU, AAU and basketball and all these opportunities. And so I look at it, and I'm saying, man, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. Really being fired as the head coach of Statesboro, Georgia, coming to the ACC as an assistant for my wife and kids. This was the best move. You know, my oldest, I don't know if you know my baby daughter, my oldest daughter now, the baby, you were there. Mm -hmm. She developed and she signed with the University of Michigan. Wow, that's awesome. Michigan. Yeah. That probably wouldn't have happened if we would have stayed in little tiny old Statesboro. Oh, uh, yeah. And I great daughter, uh, who was uh, a little chubby girl in New York, she has had, uh, she's a ninth grader. She's been offered by probably 10 high major schools already. Oh, wow. Uh, so, Moving to Tallahassee has been great for the kids, better schools. My sons are in the sixth and seventh grade, and I'm training them. So, you know, I think you just got to trust God and understand that he's going to put you where you're supposed to be. And you can't get into coaching and worry, oh, man, am I going to be fired? And this is going to be. You just got to go have faith, work at it, and let the chips fall where they may, and, and you'll be where you're supposed to be. Uh, there's no question that. I'm where I'm supposed to be right now in my journey, and, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm I'm fine with that, you know. Uh, I'm 47 now, and uh, you know when it's time for me to be a Division One head coach again, it'll happen. Until then, I'm gonna work hard for these kids that's here. I'm gonna take care of them. I'm gonna work hard for my boss to try to win a national championship for them, and then uh, be patient. So was my next my next step, but uh, I'm in a good place. So okay, so now you're at Florida State, obviously ACC job, and you're playing, you know, some of the best teams in the country, if not the best teams in the country. Uh, but this is not your first time in the ACC. So you you were at Georgia Tech uh, before, and I know you had a hand in in recruiting. You know, a lot of guys like a uh, Derek Favors types, like guys in the NBA right now. Um, so now that you're back in the ACC, like, how has your perspective changed having been a head coach? Well, I, I, I think that's that's a great question. Uh, I think the biggest thing is what you alluded to earlier. I'm better at taking things off the head coach's plate and kind of being uh, proactive instead mm -hmm. of reactive. I think once you've been a head coach, you, you understand that you got to prepare yourself by purchase law. The worst that can happen will happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have a better uh, feel on how to be proactive. I'm sorry. Yeah, no but, problem. And, that's, and that makes you a better coach. Okay. That makes you a better mm -hmm. coach. You can kind of see problems coming or you try to put out fires before they come. You know, you build a stronger relationship with the players where you understand uh, that you got to know what's going on in their life to kind of help them not make mistakes. You know, uh, mm -hmm. 
So now that you're you're at Florida State, obviously now this is I, I would argue the ACC is definitely the best of the top. I mean, the Big Twelve is is a very deep conference, but I think the ACC probably has you know the best teams in the country. Um, it's the best league in the country, and it's mm-hmm. probably right now the best league in the history of basketball. Mm. Uh, you talk about Duke, Carolina, um, Virginia. Virginia team, Georgia Tech teams that have already been in here, mm-hmm. and now they've added uh, Syracuse, Louisville, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. What's already been? I mean, it's like the Super Bowl every Wednesday and Saturday, every Wednesday and Sunday. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable how tough the league and the league was tough when I was at Georgia Tech, but now I mean, we, back then we were dealing with NC State, Wake Forest, Virginia. Uh, who else? Uh, Miami. Mm. But you add all these teams in now, you know, it's 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 really really good. I mean, you get the number of national championships, the number of Final Fours, the number of lottery picks, the number of first round draft picks. It's not even close in terms of the ACC and the rest of these leagues. Do you ever think, like, okay, we're we're trying to be ACC champions, so? Do you ever think like we need to construct a team to play against the Dukes and the UNCs? Like, how much do you let the other teams' rosters kind of determine how you build your team and strategize, or is it more like we're just gonna make the best team we can and do our thing? No, it's it's a little bit of both. It's a happy medium. Um, you know, you construct a team that can win the ACC, then you can you can win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Because the leagues, I mean, for example, Syracuse finished tenth in our conference last year. Tenth. They went to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they got in the tournament, and they just pounded people. They finished tenth in our league. You know, every year we're gonna have eight or nine teams in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just if you can win the ACC for us. It's easier to win a national championship than it is to win the ACC. Yeah, yeah. We got into the NCAA tournament. We played Missouri. We played uh, Xavier. We played Gonzaga. Uh, uh, okay, they like playing North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse, and Louisville. If we just get in the tournament, we got a chance to win it all because iron sharpens iron. Every night you play against big time team. So are you more concerned, less so than having a great record throughout the year, just making sure that you're playing your best basketball come tournament time? Right. That's, that's more the priority. And, and that's a tough thing. you got to manage bodies. Uh, yeah. you, know, you got to manage bodies. That's the toughest thing about being a head coach. That's, that's the toughest thing about uh, being a head coach. Not the coaching, not the recruiting, not anything else. It's managing your team body during. Mm. Just making sure they're they're healthy, they're gonna last. And they're fresh yeah. every time you play. How long do you practice? Two hours, two and a half hours, three days on, one day off, uh two days on, one day off. I mean, just trying to manage their legs from October fifteenth all the way to April. Mm-hmm. It's a tough deal. And it takes an art. You know, I think the NBA does a better job than college managing teams and bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think college is starting to learn from that. Well, I think there's less pressure to do well in the regular season. I, th- I think, you know, in the 
in the regular season for college, there's less games, so that one game might determine if you even make the tournament. Whereas right. I think most playoff teams in the NBA kind of already know they're going to be in the playoffs. So as long as they're, you know, there with decent enough seating. But I think college is like that that game on a Tuesday. If you lose that game, that might be your whole shot. Might be old. Yeah. Might be old. So what was, um? you guys got to the Elite Eight this year. Um, you took down Gonzaga. Um, came pretty close against Michigan. Um, so what? A minute away from the Final Four. Beat mm-hmm. Xavier, who was the number one seed. Um, it was a great experience. I mean, being a minute away from the Final Four is tough to swallow. Yeah. But we got everybody back. We only lost one kid, uh, Brian Angola Rodas, who signed with the Magic. Mm. So we'll have a chance to be back. We'll have a chance to make another run in the Final Four. Uh, after, when you get there, it changes, you know, your swagger. You start believing, okay, I, I really can win a national title. So I'm excited for these guys going into this season because I think everybody here, for the first time, really believes in their heart that we can win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was, um? I mean, what, what was it like, like, was just the tone of the locker room amidst that streak. Um, what was kind of carrying you guys through that? Uh, I think guys bought into being totally unselfish mm-hmm. and bought in just playing defense, rebounding, and playing hard. Everybody stopped worrying about their shots, their numbers, their points. They just wanted to play defense and play unselfish. And uh, I said, that's why the run we made was magical. It was magical. We could have been, if we don't beat Michigan, we'd have been in the national championship game. Mm. We'd have got Loyola in the next round. We had a good season, but our size just. You, you've been in, you know, obviously been in the ACC for a while. So, you know, some of the best NBA players right now you, you've had the game plan against. So, you know, you've, I mean, last year you, you had to play Marvin Bagley several times. You know, you had the game plan for guys like Jason Tatum. Um, so who who are some of the the toughest guys that you've had to match up against? Marvin Bagley, one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just left handed, run like a deer, six foot eleven, great feet, got feet like a five eleven guy. I mean, he was good. Uh, Tatum was really good. Dennis Smith was. You know what's crazy is Dennis Smith and Donovan Mitchell. Oh yeah, they both struggled against us, mm-hmm. like real struggled. But you know, but we're really good defensively. Uh, Tatum was okay. Grayson Allen struggled against us. Bagley was a monster. Couldn't keep him off the glass. Long, quick, quick off his feet. I had never, and, and you know, when I was in Georgia Tech, I, mean, I had a good run. I signed Derek Favors. I signed Thaddeus Young. I signed Iman Shumpert. You know, signed, uh, Sparse Crittenden got in a little trouble years later, but like, you know, these guys were elite players, you know, top 10 players, one and done. Mm. At Auburn, we had Tony Douglas back in the day, we had Moochie Norris, we had Chris Porter, we had Marquise Daniels. We had seen a lot of pros. I mean, here, we, we were starting to get them. We had Malik Beasley, we had Dwayne Bacon, you know, Jonathan Isaac, uh, O'Carl White, pros. Mm-hmm. But this kid Bagley, real deal. Who's um? So who who's some uh some of your players to watch out for? Terrence Mann, Phil Colfer, mm-hmm. uh, both of them are seniors. 
multi uh, versatile. They can play one through five, both of them, six, seven, 225 pounds. Really, they got a chance to both be pros. Um, wow. We got a six, five point guard named Trent Forrest, 215, who's special. Uh, sees the floor, big time defender. If he improves his jump shot, he's a $100 million man. Wow. And he's been working on it. And we got a kid by the name of Mufundu Kamagelli, who, uh, who uh, is the nephew of the Kimbe Matumbo. 6'10", very skilled, physical. He'll remind you of uh, like a Aaron Gordon going to buy his hairs. Uh, and then you got a kid named MJ Walker, who was a McDonald's All-American last year, was a freshman last year, who uh, has made a tremendous jump this year. He'll have a shot at it too. So we got some, we got some talent. We got some guys that will be a little better than they think we are. Okay. And what um what do you got? What is y'all's expectation for this upcoming season? And just what's your what's your mindset? We want to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Last year changed us, changed our mindset, changed our work ethic, and guys have been really focused. You know, we had guys stay up here all summer, didn't even go home, just, just worked. Once they realize that they do have potential, you oh, see that work yeah, ethic just just shoots through the roof. Well, you know, we went to the Elite Eight, and everybody celebrates for the Elite Eight. But what we remember is Michigan put blue and gold confetti on our head. Mm. You know, like you know, before we even walked out the court, they was already dumping the confetti. You know, it's a tough pill to swallow when you say, man, you know, that should have been us. Yeah. And, and listen, Villanova probably was the best team in the country. I don't know if we could have beat Villanova, but we sure would have gave them a better game than these other guys did. Michigan mm-hmm. did. You know what I mean? Uh, but they beat us. And you got to give them credit. They had a good game plan. They, they took five off the glass and got back in transition. And you know they they, they did some really good things. That they're, they're a great staff, great program. Got nothing but respect for Michigan. They beat us. Uh, but uh, we really do. Our mindset is we're going to win an unfinished business. Mm. That's what the national title. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I just want to ask you about, about your coaching style because, you know, that was one of the most interesting things to me is when I was a manager, just getting to see you and your staff, just the way, you know, you guys carry yourself uh, during a practice, during a game, just, you know, and really just how you communicate with your players. And, um, you know, the impression I got was you were, you know, very, you know, hard on your players, not afraid to, to tell them the harsh truth, never sugarcoated anything, you know. But you were also very good about, you know, developing a relationship with them off the court and that, you know, they they felt like they could trust you and talk to you. They knew you cared about them as people, but you also weren't afraid to, to be hard, be strict, you know, be an authority figure. So, you know, what was your key to to, you know, that that balance? A lot of coaches are either, you know, too much of a player's coach where they're more of a friend than they are a leader. And then some coaches are, you know, complete robots that are just nothing but authority. So how do you, how do you blend those two? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, that was that was difficult. I was a young head coach, young CEO. Um, looking back on it, uh, I did some really good things, but I also uh, would manage different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had it to do over again, when I get it to do over again, you know, with that group. You're young, you're just coming in, you don't really have a pedigree. You want to earn everybody's respect by your consistent work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I took pride in having a great relationship with my guys. And I took pride in uh, I took pride in preparing these guys for life when basketball was over. You know, that was my deal. And uh, so my heart was always in the right place. I didn't always have the right delivery because mm-hmm. I felt the urgency of trying to get them ready for life. Oh, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, now uh, I've, I've learned as I've matured as a coach and grow and evolve that um, sometimes you don't have to scream and hoop and holler to get your point across. Okay. Uh, and I felt like I always had to do that. Uh, but it was also the culture was so bad when we first got there. I felt like I had to drive it. Mm. These guys, they had never been winners before. They didn't know what it take, what it took to get there, the commitment. Uh, but I regret uh, being too confrontational at times. Okay. And again, my heart was in the right place. I was trying to prepare guys for life after basketball, but at some times I should have took my foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, and that, that comes with age. I think uh, even today I have a great relationship with all those guys. I think they understand better what I was trying to do and they appreciate it. But at the time they didn't appreciate me always in their face. <laughs> well, I've, I've, you know, I've been around, you know, the, the coaches that get in face and yell and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of times, that's all the player will see him as is just this robotic figure that's just constantly bearing down on them. But like, at least from what I saw, it seemed to me like none of them, none of them doubted that, you know, you cared about them as people and that you kind of, you took the time to get to know them too. Well, and that was important to us. We worked hard at it. We worked hard at it. My whole staff really was really good. Steve Smith and Eric Codell, I mean, those guys were, they understood what I wanted, and and they were my lieutenants, and they and they they jumped my butt some when I needed to back off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, I just felt like you know I had to coach, especially the best two players in the program, whoever was the top two players in the program. I felt like I had to coach them hard uh, because if you if if the rest of the camp sees that Eric Ferguson, mm-hmm. Willie Powers, I'm on them. And everybody else is gonna fall in line, but I can't let Eric Ferguson and, and Willie Powers get away with whatever they want to get away with, because then I lose the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's something that you know I would be much different now as at forty seven than I was at thirty seven. You know. So how would you, you know, let's say a, a you know a player isn't running hard or. Maybe he talks back to a coach or, you know, some, some little thing that you feel like you need to address. How would you, how would you address that now as opposed to back then? Well, you remember back then, that would be, <laughs> that, would, that would be drunk. But now, uh, now I think my approach, and a lot of this is working for the great Jay Leonard Hamilton, the education that I've got in terms of how to manage. Mm-hmm. See, uh, I look back on my time, my tenure as a head coach. I was a great head coach. I was a terrible CEO. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think in order to be good at the divisional level, you got to be a good head coach and a good CEO. So the way I would handle those situations now, a guy who wasn't running or was talking back, I would say, hey, Chief, I love you. I ain't mad at you. I ain't trying to fight. But you're not playing. 
You know what I mean? Simple as that. So once you set that precedence, now you don't have to, ah, oh, ah, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, kids are different now. You know, that's the biggest thing I learned from, see, I was always coached fire and brimstone. Mm-hmm. So I, I respected that. You know what I mean? Uh, kids now, they just can't help it. It's just a different era. Kids, they don't have the mental toughness. They're not raised like that. They don't understand. So you learn, you grow, mm-hmm. you evolve. Uh, I've, I've, at times, I think I've managed the guys the right way. Uh, I think they always knew I loved them. Uh, I think they always knew that. But looking back on it, I needed to kind of grow and evolve as a CEO. Mm-hmm. Because do that all year. At the end of the year, they took me out. Ah, yeah. Can't holler them so much. Do you have any... Any uh, closing thoughts? Anything you want to leave us on or just any last piece of advice for players and coaches? Well, I think a um, couple things. Don't ever let anybody outwork you. Mm-hmm. Just refuse to be outworked. And number two, treat everybody you meet like they're going to die at midnight. Because mm-hmm. you never know. You know, it's, it's about relationships. And, uh, if you treat everybody you meet like they're going to die at midnight, you're going to have people helping you that you don't even know helping you just because you treat them with respect. And uh, there's so many coaches uh, that don't understand that, that are arrogant, you know, that are disrespectful. Uh, that, uh, you know, I think the first thing, if you're going to be a good coach, you got to understand you're not Martin Luther King. You're not Nelson Mandela. You know, you did not make the cure for cancer. You know what I mean? All you do is coach basketball. That doesn't make you better than anybody else. So you got to treat everybody with respect. Uh, and that's how you get respect. And then people will do anything for you. You know, you, you knew this when you were in our program. Uh, nobody's job is more important than the next guy. Everybody's important. Everybody's job is important. And that's the way I tried to run the program, from the manager to the head coach. Everybody was in our family circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's why we were able to get get it get it off the ground the way we did, considering what we took over. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I remember what was it? Like eight something like eight years ago. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you and your whole staff uh taking a chance on me and you know, I definitely a lot of what I, you know, apply to my current day coaching and things in life just came from lessons I've, I've learned from uh, not just seeing the drills and the game plans, but also just seeing how a, a coaching staff, um, you know, how they carry themselves, how they, you know, treat other people. So, you know, that that's an experience that I'm always going to appreciate. And, um, you know, thank you for taking the time to to be on this podcast. And, you know, it's glad to see that you've been, you know, moving up and, and doing well with a big-time program. So, you know, I can't wait to, to keep watching uh, Florida State and watch um, Michigan uh, Michigan uh, women's team next year, too. <laughs> well, you deserved it, man. You were really good. I mean, you earned your, you earned your respect mm. day one with, with, with your work ethic. And uh, so everybody treated you like a lieutenant, lieutenant mm. because you, you earned that. So it's good to see you, man. I'm glad to know you're doing well. Anytime you need me, call, okay?
Absolutely. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode, and thanks to Coach C.Y. for taking the time to do this episode. Um, If you've been watching college basketball over the past few years, you'd notice that uh, Florida State has really been reaching a new level. Uh, Last season, they made the Elite Eight. Uh, This season, they're poised to uh, make a lot of noise in the conference tournament and in the NCAA tournament. Um, If you want to keep up with any of the stuff that we're doing, we have uh, instructional videos on YouTube. Our uh, YouTube channel name is Box Out Basketball. Uh, You can follow our Instagram page at BoxOutBball underscore LA. Um, You can can like our Facebook page at BoxOutBball.LA. And remember, here at Box Out Basketball, it's our job to give you the tools. It's your job to use them.